The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. A reading from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Aaron, and it's so good to be with you this morning and open the word together. Uh, this passage about Martha and Mary, I've noticed, creates quite an emotional response in quite a few people, um, especially if you connect with Mary. Uh, as I've mentioned to people, I'm pre—or sorry, with Martha. As I've mentioned this week, I'm preaching. As I hear a lot of people like, "Oh, I know which one I am." And uh, over years in ministry, I've worked with people who just kind of mourn and lament their Martha-ness. And I don't know if you connect with her or, or relate to someone who's like her, but this morning, I hope we're going to be actually fairly gentle um, with Martha, uh, because Jesus is, first of all. And secondly, because um, the Lord loves us, and uh, I think you'll see why we need to, to kind of wear soft gloves as we walk through this passage. But let me pray, and we'll look at this together. Dear Lord, the call, the care, the gentleness of Jesus as he relates to Martha and Mary and to us are very beautiful. So help us as we study, give us your spirit so we can see and understand the gospel truth in this story and draw closer to you as you have invited us to do. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, so one day I was driving up the mountain by Rock City and I saw one of the most ridiculous and terrifying things I've seen in a car. Um, as I'm coming up just past that majestic overlook before Rock City, and I get to that intersection where all the cars are coming down, you go left to Starbucks or right uh, down Fleetwood, I believe. There at the stop sign is a truck with a trailer and a middle-aged man in the driver's seat, his glasses a bit askew. In his right hand, he's holding a cell phone He's talking. In his left hand, he's holding a fidget spinner in full motion. I'm pretty sure I saw a cigarette between his lips. Which I was saying, how are we gonna, anyway. Then, perched precariously on the driver, on the steering wheel are his elbows. And he is about to descend Lookout Mountain, Ox Highway, both hands full, and, uh, and elbows on the steering wheel. What, what a zeitgeist. What a sign of the times. What a, an, a picture of our cultural moment. T.S. Eliot says this. Uh, he once wrote this, this is a long time ago, and, and I believe it's far more relevant now. 
he wrote about this twittering world where we are distracted from distraction by distraction. Kevin DeYoung in his book, Crazy Busy, which I'll reference a few times, as well as The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. But he tells the story of a woman from another culture who after a short time in the States, she began to introduce herself as busy. Hi, I'm busy. And they asked her why she did that. And she said, well, I I just thought that was the customary American greeting. Everyone says, hi, I'm busy. I wonder, have you heard yourself say that recently? How are you? I'm good, just busy. John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he writes that psychologists and mental health professionals are now talking about an epidemic of the modern world that they have termed hurry sickness. In other words, they're they're labeling it as a disease. They've given a few definitions I think will help us. One is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness, or a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time, and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. And then Meyer Friedman, who, who was a cardiologist in the 50s, actually introduced all the, the Myers-Briggs profiling of personalities as he studied people's hearts and the, the stress and the effect on their lives. He defined it like this. He noticed that uh, type A people were more prone to heart attacks. And he came up with this definition, a continuous struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. So then one more illustration that helped me, a Galinsky survey that DeYoung quotes in his book. It was a survey of over a thousand kids, aged three to 12. They asked the kids, what's the one thing they would change about the way their parents' work was affecting them? The answer was the kids rarely wished for more time with their parents, but much to the parents' surprise, they wished their parents were less tired and less stressed. It's not the amount of time we have, but the time we have is so marked by anxiety and stress and exhaustion that it's, it's overwhelming. So they longed for their parents to be more free. Soren Kierkegaard once wrote, Busyness is a way to never form a heart. And I learned this week that the two Chinese symbols for busyness are the symbol for heart and the symbol for murder. Heart annihilation is how they define busyness. So without much effort at all, I think in this culture, we can all fall into the trap of busyness and distraction. And it seems very clear to me that to live a distracted, a busy, and untamed life is about as dangerous as driving your car down lookout with your elbows. So let's look at our passage for some encouragement or some wisdom. If any of this is relating to you or someone close to you, I want us to sit at the feet of Jesus this morning. And our first point is the context. Welcoming Jesus and Jesus' welcome. So the context of this passage, it follows the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember, in that passage, that story, Luke tells us it was a lawyer. He stood up to test Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds, 
you shall love the Lord with all your heart, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Luke says the lawyer who wanted to justify himself asked a little further, well, who's my neighbor? So then Jesus tells the story of the Samaritan, the outsider who helps rather than all of the religious people. And then Luke puts right next to that story, the one of how to love your neighbor, the story of Martha and Mary. And Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his teaching. So we have this Samaritan who is an outsider. We have this woman who would be the last two people the lawyer would think would be justified. Actually, at this time, rabbis were, were creating laws saying women shouldn't learn theology. And Jesus says, no, <laughs> I welcome them into this moment. May the gospel pour of them. May it be rich in their hearts and minds. So Jesus blows the categories. He is the foil. Martha and Mary are the foil to the religious expert. And it's the Samaritan and the woman that reveal this to us. So that's the context of the story. But now real quick, let's just comment on Martha and Mary. Um, personality profilers. Do you know, the, you know the type who love to assign an Enneagram number to you? <laughs> or a Myers-Briggs type? Like, oh, I know what you are. And they put that little box around you. And um, actually, like the box I'm in is helpful for me. But um, personality profilers love this passage. It kind of fits categories pretty well for them, they feel like. And I think it'd be a little more helpful for our short study if we just make a few comments on what we observe in Martha and Mary. And I love what Joanna Weaver writes. She says, Mary's bent was to meander through life, pausing to smell the roses. Martha was more likely to pick the roses, quickly cut the stems at an angle, arrange them in a vase with baby's breath and ferns, right? They were different. They had two different personalities and approaches to serving God. But I think it's so important to stop and recognize that Martha's gift of hospitality is beautiful and good. In fact, Romans 12, 13, Paul says, we should seek to show hospitality. Peter writes, show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. So imagine real quick, I come up to you after the service today. I say, hey, I've got this very important guest that I would like for you to host for dinner tonight. What goes through your mind right now? Oh goodness, the yard, we didn't blow the leaves. Uh, the house is a wreck. Uh, we need to get to the store. We need to get the meat marinade. We need to buy, bake, chop, you know, we gotta get the table set. The kids are unpresentable. They're gonna have to go to someone's house. Like what are, like your mind, this list of like, as, as honored as the guest is, so does the list before you rise. Um, and I think Martha deeply respects and reveres the son of God is coming to her home. And it's probably the reason that Jesus returned to their home so often, honestly, is her hospitality and care and the warmth. So she's welcoming Jesus, which is why this all meant so much to her. Um, but something else begins to intrude in Martha's heart in this moment. And on this occasion, it begins to work sideways. Grumbling begins to rise up inside. And uh, I think if when we look closer, we'll find it maybe relatable to our own hearts. So let's look at our next point, the complaint. Revealing the presence of activity for Jesus without attention to Jesus. So something's stirring in Martha's heart, right? She moves from joyful hospitality to a complaint against her sister. And if, did you see it? If you look closely, 
She's complaining against God. Martha was distracted with much serving. Have you ever washed dishes at someone? Boom, boom. Or had someone wash dishes at you while you're in the other room? You just like turn the game up a little louder, you know? <laughs> World War III in the kitchen, pots clanging dishes. Like Martha, the scene is one of Martha's and they're smoldering, right? And it's building and it's building with each thing. And then finally she bursts in the room. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Look at that phrase, three times she references herself. My sister has left me to help me. Her attention has left the one she's serving and moved toward herself. And remember, Martha's doing a good and a necessary thing here. Jesus himself said the greatest in the kingdom of God is the servant of all. But not at the expense of intimacy with Christ. So it's hard to know what's going on in Martha's heart, and I hesitate to guess and impose on her. So I'm going to share sometimes what happens in my heart. Uh, I can often be overwhelmed by my own standards or expectations of myself. I have expectations of how much I want to get done in a week, how well I want to do those things, and my expectations often become impossible to meet on my own. And so then I need help. And others who don't see my need for help or don't intuit that I have all these expectations for myself that I can't meet without them helping, which I haven't expressed to them, I start to feel alone, I start to become frustrated with them. Why don't they see I've committed to something being done in such a way that it requires more than I alone can give it? And I start to smolder a little bit, maybe a lot. Uh, Maybe more uh, honest, a quick example. So I'm writing a sermon this week on what's a very relevant topic in my life, distraction, busyness, all of its dangers. I was honestly really excited at the beginning of the week to study this because for the last three years, people have been recommending these books about elimination of hurry and crazy busy. And they were on my, on my bedside table and they slowly moved to the top. So they're next. And I've been looking at it for a month like, nope, I'm not going to read it. Because I know I'll agree with almost everything, but I'll feel powerless to do it. And so I've been avoiding it. And then when I saw the Lord's brought to us to Martha and Mary and he chose me to preach it this week, I was like, okay, Lord, it's time to engage this. Um, so I was really excited to get into this. And then as I'm reading books, these two books by people, they probably spent hundreds of hours Researching, studying, compiling, writing, goes off to an editor, comes back, rewriting, a team of 20 people put together this work that helps us think through busyness, distraction, gospel-centered rest. And I'm going to, in 22 minutes on a communion homily, convey all of that to us and, and, and perfect without leaving anything out. So my expectation is this. And it's impossible to meet from the get-go. As my week goes on, I get, I get closer and closer. I realize this is not even going to come close. I'm, I'm running out of time. On the best week, I have maybe 10 hours to work on a sermon. And everything that infringes, you know, starts to frustrate me. Everyone that wants my time, I isolate. I avoid staff and family. I get curtain short in my replies. And then, you know, it builds up. And I realize midweek, like, oh, I haven't even 
talk to Jesus about this at all. I am deeply involved in a Christ-centered activity without much attention to Jesus. Um, Activity for Jesus that becomes disconnected from attention to him. So how do we know if our service has lost attention to Jesus? There's three things that happen in this passage. First of all, she begins to question God. We begin to question God's care and his plan. Lord, do you not care? I have more to do than I have time or strength to accomplish. Yes, I do care. And we begin commanding Jesus what he should do or what he should value. You should be valuing these things. You should be doing these things instead of sitting at the feet of Jesus. Lord, who would you have me be? What would you have me do today? So that's the first sign we're starting to be disconnected. We start to question God and his care and his plan. But secondly, we begin to find fault in others, don't we? With microscopic precision, we begin to examine and judge everyone else around us and how they spend their time and what they are doing. When our activity for Jesus gets disconnected, we start to resent and criticize others. We begin to question what they're doing compared to what we're doing. We, we play the comparison game. But thirdly, we begin to be overcome with self-pity. I'm the only one who cares. I'm the only one serving. I'm the only one trying here, Lord. Even you, you're not trying. I'm trying more than you, Lord. And we get overcome with self-pity. These are great indicators that our serving is, is beginning to lose sight of the Savior. So this is all in regards to Martha, who's actually busy for the Lord. But as I mentioned earlier, often we're just busy. We're just distracted. And I want to step away and have a couple comments that DeYoung said that were really helpful for me. And I think will help those of us who are marked more by busyness and distraction. First, he says this. He says, we're busy because we try to do too many things. We do too many things because we say yes to too many people. We say yes to all these people because we want them to like us and we fear their disapproval. And we get caught as soon as you have their approval, you gotta do something else for them. And when we choose the approval of humans over the the love and acceptance of God, we get in a bad cycle quick. I think that is so true. We lose sight of Jesus. We're not sitting under the teaching of his gospel. We long from others what only Christ can give. And one other quote I found helpful, uh, listen all the way to the end, it might be confusing at first. He writes, we want to complexify our lives. We don't have to, we want to. We want to be harried and hassled and busy. Unconsciously, we want the very things we complain about. For if we had leisure, we would look at ourselves and listen to our hearts and see the great gaping hole in our hearts and be terrified because that hole is so big that nothing but God can fill it. Have you ever been there? So disconnected, such a mess on the inside that silence is terrifying. Being alone with your thoughts is the last place on earth you wanna be. I know so many who have told me they fall asleep with their AirPods in. 
to avoid that quiet moment. They hold that phone, candy crush and wordle until they fall asleep with it in their hand to avoid that moment of what's going on inside of me. Distracting ourselves from a wound that Jesus is longing to heal. So I love how Jesus responds to Martha in this moment because it reveals how he cares for you and for me. People prone to distraction. Let's finish looking at the call. Jesus invites Martha away from distraction into devotion. So he answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. You see, Jesus uses the double name here, which he uses a few times in scripture, and it's always marked by tenderness. Luke 13, he looks over the city, says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I long to gather you under my wings. In Luke 22, he looks at Simon, he says, Simon, Simon, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And now he says, Martha, Martha, I see you, I know you, I know you're anxious, I know you're troubled about many things. You know, I would encourage you just really quick, just insert your name in there for a second. Aaron, Aaron, I know you are anxious and troubled about many things, but there's only one thing you need to do according to my standard. Jesus says there's one thing that is necessary. I love what Riken says here. He writes this. He says, this question, what is the one thing has caused a fair amount of consternation because Jesus never says. He does not define the one thing that is necessary for the life of discipleship. Instead, he points to Mary's example. Rather than giving us a proposition, he shows us a picture. What is necessary is to sit at Jesus' feet the way that Mary did and listen to what he says and in this way come to know Jesus' love. The picture shows Mary's devotion to Christ, specifically her commitment to his teaching. She loved Jesus in his word. And think real quick, what was Jesus teaching? He was saying, I did not come to serve or to be served, but to serve. I've come to give my life as a ransom for you. Mary, I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer and die and rise again so that I can go prepare a place for you. Jesus is speaking his love over her and over us. And he's inviting Martha. He's saying, more than I desire your service, I desire your company. I desire your presence. And it's important to add, Jesus is not just adding one more thing to Martha's to-do list. Do all that and spend more time with Jesus. Okay, put that there on the list of 30 things to do today. Reichen says he's not asking for something more from us, he's asking for less so that he can give more of himself. He says when we make this kind of time for Jesus, quality time to meet him in his word and through prayer, we are choosing the good portion. Jesus is the perfect antidote for all of the unattractive attitudes that poison our service. Listen to this, his gospel is the cure for our distraction as we're drawn to the beauty of his grace. His love is the cure for self-pity 
as we forget ourselves in serving others for his sake. His mercy is the cure for resentment as we offer others the same forgiveness Jesus has given to us. That is the good portion that God offers us. Jesus himself and all of his grace. So I love that, the good portion. This Greek word, merida, you know it's most often used to refer to a meal? One is preparing a meal while the other's receiving one. We're invited this morning by Jesus to the good portion. He invites us to a meal, one that he has prepared for us. And he calls us away from much distraction to listen to his heart and what he has accomplished for us. So let me pray for us and let's prepare our hearts to come to the table that he has set for us. Let's pray. Lord, you see and you know us. You know and you care when we are anxious, when we are troubled by many things. And Lord, you care for us when we are at peace before you. Thank you for so gently calling us away from distraction and hurry to the true source of peace and rest. Father, we ask that our lives would be built around the one thing, the only thing that is necessary. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.